Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man, the Savior, the Messiah. Jesus is a mountaineer to Jerusalem. He's come to fulfill the will of the Father, to do the plan. What is the plan? That is to die on the cross and pay for sin and rise again and conquer death. He is the substitute and the sacrifice for the sins of the world. In the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus teaching on a number of subjects. He taught about salvation. He taught about discipleship. He taught about the prodigal son. Well, last week, we, he started teaching on the issue of stewardship. And we saw great truth that we are stewards. We're stewards of God's. We're, of God's. we're to wisely use all that he has entrusted to us for his glory. Well, there's so much. Well, as we continue this morning, there are two areas that sort of stand out I want you to see. One is we're going to talk about faithfulness, and that's faithful to be wise stewards in the little things and the big things. In fact, the bottom thing, the bottom line is you start with the little things. That's where you to be faithful. And then the second thing is we're going to see Jesus confronting the Pharisees. And we're going to see this because they make fun of him, and he really challenges them. And he talks about the fact that God knows their hearts. And he talks about the law and salvation and the gospel. There's some great things there. So the goal is that we'd be encouraged and understand this passage and make application. Well, Samuel was a prophet, and he was the last of the judges. He was sent to the home of Jesse. Jesse had been sent there by God to anoint the next king of the nation of Israel. Jesse had eight sons. The youngest was a man by the name of David who was a shepherd. When Samuel came into the home, they had the sons line up before him, and he knew that God would tell him which of the sons would be the next king. When the first son came, he was tall, he was handsome, he was powerful, and Samuel thought to himself, he says, you know, this has to be the one, and God said no. See, God doesn't see like a man on the outside. God sees the heart. God knows the inside. All of these sons were passed through until the last one came, and that was David. And when David came, God said to Samuel, that's the one. And that's why David is known as a man after God's own heart. Because, see, man looks on the outside, and God looks on the inside. God knows the heart. This morning, as we look at our passage, Jesus confronts the religious leaders. They're trying to look good on the outside. They try to justify themselves before people. But Jesus tells them that God knows their heart hearts. And the truth is, God knows our hearts as well. And as we study this morning, our goal is that we'd be men and women who have hearts for God and live for Him. Well, let's begin. Jesus is almost to Jerusalem. In fact, we, we still have a good number of chapters to go. Of course, Luke has 24 chapters. We're in chapter 16, and, and we're going through that. At, but he's just about there. For the last weeks, we've been seeing that Jesus has been teaching about stewardship. He's been saying, be faithful to use what God has entrusted to us for his glory. And this morning, faithfulness and the confronting of the Pharisees, that stands out. Let me give you the outline of the passage. The breakdown of this passage is dealing with stewardship as a whole. It talks about faithfulness in 10 through 13, both in the little and the big. He says, if you're faithful in the little, you'll be faithful in big. The results are going to be rewards. And then he talks about the two masters. And he says, you can't serve two masters. And we'll talk about that. Then the confronting the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were making fun of him. They were scoffing at him. And then as we look on, um, that he deals with the law and the gospel because the Pharisees thought if you keep the law you could go to heaven. He's saying he's going to show them not. And then he ends with a passage that's really hard when he, when he talks about divorce. And a lot of people get upset. We'll look at it as we go through it. I'll show you how it flows in the passage and how it fits. Now, before we begin uh, this passage, let me review of two key things that we talked about last week so you'll understand. The two questions, things that we bring up is what is stewardship and what is our responsibility in stewardship? Okay? Well, let's start with what is stewardship. 
When people hear the word stewardship, they usually think of giving, money, church program. They think of stuff like a stewardship committee. Stewardship deals much more than with giving and a church program. The Greek word for stewardship is the Greek word oikonomos. It comes from two Greek words put together, oikos, which means house, namas, which means law. It means the house law or the law of the house. That was A steward was a person who was either a slave or a hired person who was to entrusted with the possessions of the owner, whether it was his house, his business, whatever it was. They were entrusted with a responsibility by the master to oversee what the master had given them. So the steward was that. He was the one who oversees wisely what has been entrusted to him. So we can put it this way. A steward is one who has been entrusted with a responsibility. That takes us to the second question, is what is our responsibility in stewardship? As those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we are slaves and stewards. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says it is required of stewards to be found faithful. We have been given a trust from God, a responsibility from God. And here's the bottom line. We are responsible, or we have the responsibility, we're responsible to use wisely all that God has given to us. Now think about it. We talked about this last week. Your time, your money, your possessions, your gifts, talents, abilities, even your spiritual gifts, all of that has been given by God to you, and you are responsible to use that for His glory. Technically, it's not yours. He is the master. He has entrusted to us these things, and we're to use them for his glory. So we're to be stewards of all that he's entrusted to us, whether it's our life or money or, or, or anything, and it's for the glory of God. We must come to the realization that everything we have is not ours. It's from God to us, and it's really not ours. We're to use it wisely. And so stewardship is understanding that all we have from God And it all belongs to him, no matter what we give away or what we keep. It's all his, and we're to use it for his glory. Last time we ended with this truth. Our goal and end result is this. We're to use wisely all that God has given to us for his glory, and get ready for this, in the future, he will reward us. Now, you understand that when you take what God has given you, it's actually His, but He's given you time, money, possessions, gifts, talents, abilities, all of that, and you use that now for His glory, one day when you stand before Him, He will say, well done, good and faithful servant, and He will reward you for how you used what He gave you now. That is powerful. That means every one of us in this room who know Christ with our time, our money, our possessions, our spiritual gifts, our talents, our abilities, all of these things, we're to use them for the glory of God. And one day he's going to say to us, well done, this is for you, the rewards. That's how we ended last week. Now, as we continue, we're going to see the charge. Basically, the key is faithfulness. That's the bottom line. Look at verse 10. He says this. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. The key is faithfulness. To be faithful in something little, be faithful in something big. If you're not faithful in something that's little, you won't be faithful in something big. In fact, look at this. The proving ground for ministry is faithfulness in the little things. It's the moment by moment, day after day, as we seek to live for Jesus Christ. Are we faithful in the little things? We'll be faithful in the big things. Are we faithful with our time, our money, our possessions, our spiritual gifts, our lives, in the day-to-day things of life? Are we faithful? So stop for a minute and look at your life. 
Are you faithful in the daily little things of life? Often people find people think that the big thing, let's let's do this big thing. It's not the big things that prove faithfulness. It's the day by day, the little things. Because if you're faithful in a very little thing, you'll be faithful in a big thing. That's what he talks about. First Corinthians four two says it's required of stewards to be found faithful. We saw last time that we're to be faithful, we're to be wise stewards of what God has given to us, we're to use them for his glory, and in the future. He will reward us. Now, I taught uh, prayer breakfast last Thursday. I usually don't teach prayer breakfast, but I got to this time. And in that, we were talking about some things. But here's the truth. Now, listen to this. If you are too big to do little things, you're too little to do big things. Now, you understand that? If you think, I'm too big to do these little things, you're too little to do the big things. Because if you're not faithful in that which is little... You won't be faithful in that which is being. And that's what he's talking about. With the things that God has given to you, your time, your gifts, your abilities, your money, your possessions, with that that he's given to you, those little things of this life, day after day, you be faithful. You'll be faithful in the big things, and he will reward you. Notice he goes on to teach this. Watch. These next two verses deal with about rewards. Look at verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? He says, if you're not faithful with what you have now, how is he going to give you the things in the future, the rewards? The summary, I think, it is it basically is this whole idea of faithfulness. If we're not faithful, and notice how he says it, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, he calls it unrighteous wealth. The Greek word there for wealth is mammon, which just means things. And he's talking about the world, the things of this world. He calls them unrighteous because they're temporary. They won't last forever. They're just the things of this world. He says, if you're not faithful with the things of this world, how is he going to give you rewards? And that's the bottom line. If you and I are not faithful today to use what God's given us, how do we expect when we stand before him, he's going to say, well done, this is for you. That's why he says, if you have not been faithful to the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust these true riches to you? In 2 Corinthians 5.10, he says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be recompensed, to be rewarded for the things that we've done. We're going to stand before our Savior. This great verse right here, Luke 19, verse 17, we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks. Don't turn there, but listen to what it says. It's where a person has served faithfully, and Jesus is given a parable, and here's what he says. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be an authority over ten cities. The bottom line is, if you are faithful now in the little things of life, one day he's going to say to you, well done, and he's going to give you eternal rewards. It's powerful. He gives more details. Verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now you realize when he says, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, everything you have is God's. If you haven't been faithful, what God has entrusted to you, which is really His, and you're just using it for Him, He says, if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, God has loaned you, so to speak, who's going to give you that which is your own? We're stewards. We've been entrusted with things from God. It's not our time. You don't decide how long you're going to be on this earth. God does. It's not our money. It's not our possessions. It's not our spiritual gifts. It's not all, it's what God has entrusted to us for this time. 
And he says, if you haven't used this wisely, if you haven't been faithful in the use of that which is another's, God's, who's going to give you that which is your own? How will you get eternal riches if we're not faithful? If we're not faithful what God has given to us now, entrusted to us now, how are we going to get the true riches? If you're faithful in that which is little, you'll be faithful in that which is much. Now, he comes to the key. Because you'd say, wow, so what you're saying is this. Take our lives, and whatever God has given us, our time, our money, possessions, gifts, talent, everything that he has given to us, it's really, it's really his, and he's entrusted it to us, and he's saying, use my stuff wisely. It's his. If we use it wisely and are faithful, when we stand before him, he'll say, well done, i got stuff for you. Eternal rewards. That's exactly right. How does this happen? What's the key? It comes down to a very powerful but a very simple truth. And here's what it is. You either love God or you love things. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus did. We'll see it in just a second. That's what he said. If you love God, you'll use the things of this world for his glory. You'll be faithful and the end results will be rewards. If you love things, you won't serve God. You won't be faithful, and the end results will be no rewards. Look at verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Verse 13 says, you cannot serve two masters. Who are the two masters? The start of the verse says, no servant can serve two masters. The end of the verse tells us who they are. You cannot serve God and Wealth, you can't serve God in material things. You can't serve them both. You may think you can, but you can't. You can't love God and love things. It will not work. Jesus is the one who says this. Either you'll love one and hate the other, you'll love one, you'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. If you're loving God, you're not going to love things. And if you're loving things, you're not going to love God. The Hebrew way of saying this, and that we talked about it in other times, when he says you, you'll hate this one and love this one, it's the idea is which one are you going to choose? You're either going to choose to love God and then things will be something you use or you're going to choose to, to, to love things. And the key in Christian life is the faithfulness as a steward of God. Loving God and using the things of this world for His glory. So stop for a second and think about your life and my life. How are we doing? We love God or do we love things? What's important in your life? You know how you can tell? Just get out your checkbook or your credit card statement. See what you're doing. Where do you put your money? What do you and I deal with? How do we deal with material things? How do we look at this? Our goal is to love God and use things for His glory. The end result, He will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, from this, Jesus is going to confront the Pharisees. Why? I didn't say this at the start of the message, but Jesus had been teaching the big crowd. And then he got over to the side a little bit and he was teaching his disciples. And he was teaching his disciples the issues of stewardship, what we've been seeing. But the best we can tell is the Pharisees have been listening to what he's saying. They're over here listening to what Jesus is saying and they don't believe him. In fact, they don't like him. And they think he's wrong. You know why? Because they love money. And when Jesus said, you can't love God in money, you can't serve two masters, they make fun of him. They begin to scoff at him. Notice what the next verse says, because we're going to see now, Jesus is going to, I think it says, confront the Pharisees. Yeah, he's going to confront them. Watch what we find. Now, the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. Now, it says the Pharisees. Remember who they were? 
They were religious leaders. They thought they were better than anybody else. They held to the law. They were legalistic. They were pious people. They wanted people to see them and to think that they were very godly. And so when they went through life, they did all the right things in front of people and they wanted people to think they were very godly and righteous people. And they love money. That's what the Bible actually says. And when Jesus said, you can't love God and money, you can't, you got, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other. You're going to be devoted to one. You're going to despise the other. You can't serve God and money. can't do it. And they laugh at him. They scoff at him because they say, we love money. <laughs> we love money. And the truth is, they did love money. And they didn't love God. They didn't. And so it says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to these things and were scoffing at him. Now, the word scoff means to turn up your nose. They're making fun of him. Now, let's talk about money for just a second. You know, money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. And money, with money, you can get almost anywhere but heaven. And you can buy almost anything but happiness. You can't love God and money at the same time. You just can't do it. They were listening, and they don't like him, and so they were scoffing at him. They were turning up their nose at him. They were making fun of him. And, you know, Jesus is so amazing. When, when a person comes to God and they say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I've blown it. And when you see in the pages of Scripture people coming up to Jesus, he just grace, mercy, and love. But when a person says, I'm all right in my own self, I don't need anybody. That's the religious leader's. He always got on to them. And we're going to see that in this passage, they're laughing, and he's going to say, excuse me, you laughing over there? Let me tell you, we're going to talk about something for just a second. So he's been talking to his people, and they're making fun of him, and he looks over at them and goes, just a second. And this is what he's going to say to them, watch. And he said to them, verse 15, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Now, look what he says. You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. They wanted to look good in front of people. You know, they wanted the best seats in the synagogue. They had these flowing robes that as they walked through the city. Do you know when they gave their money at the temple, they had people blow trumpets and everybody would stop and look over and they'd put money in so everybody could see them putting their money in. They wanted to be thought of as the most pious people, the most religious people. They wanted to look good before people. Jesus said, you try to justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. He does. He knows their hearts. He knows they were lovers of money. He knows that they love money before they ever love God. He knows they look good on the outside. God knows the heart. And you know what? God knows our hearts. He knows what's really important to us. Now listen to this statement. It's very powerful. He says at the end of verse 15, For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. That which is highly thought of among men, God hates. You know what people, what men love? Men love power, prestige, money, riches, greatness. Men want to feel important. We want to walk around and say, yes, I'm important. I've got money. I've got this. I've got this. It says God hates that. You know what God loves? He loves humility. God loves humility. He hates pride. He loves humility. He says, you want to be great? Be a servant if you want to be great. They loved money, power, and honor. And God says, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're not loving God. You're not showing humility or servanthood. Now, it's going to get hard. If it hadn't already been hard, it's fixing to get hard. Because he's going to say some things that are a little bit hard to follow. 
And what he's going to do is this. You understand that these religious leaders believed that the way they were going to get to God was through their good works by trying to keep the law. They tried to justify themselves before men because they tried to do all the things they thought you're supposed to do. They don't love God. They've not believed in Christ. So Jesus is going to remind them. He's going to take them back to the ministry of John the Baptist and he's going to remind them about the kingdom and salvation. Notice what he does. Verse 16. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since the time, since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. Now that's a hard verse. We're going to talk about what it means, law and prophets. What about John? What about the kingdom? And what does it mean people are forcing their way into it? Here's what I want you to understand. The Old Testament, sometimes, the Jewish people call it the Tanakh, which stands for three things. The Torah, the Nebim, and the Ketubim. The law, the writings, and the prophets. Sometimes when the Jewish people talked about the Old Testament, they'd say law, writings, and prophets. Sometimes they would just say law and prophets. That's the Old Testament. In this passage, Jesus says the law and prophets were proclaimed until John. Until John the Baptist came, the Old Testament was telling there's a Messiah coming. Seed of woman, seed of Abraham, son of David, coming as a Messiah and Savior. So the Old Testament was proclaiming the coming Messiah. It says the law and prophets were proclaimed until John. When John came as John the Baptist, he stood up and said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm fulfilling the Old Testament. I'm pointing to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when John came... He began to say that the Messiah and the King was on the earth, Jesus. It goes on to say this. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. The gospel of the kingdom of God is that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And whoever believes in him has eternal life and goes into the kingdom. That's what's preached. That's the message. How in the world do people get into the kingdom of God? They believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. But the last part of the verse is a little bit hard. It says, and everyone is forcing his way into it. You'd say it this way. And people are trying to get into it, trying to get into the kingdom. The religious leaders were trying to get into the kingdom, not by John the Baptist showing there's the Lamb of God. They were trying to get into the kingdom by being good. They were trying to force their way in. Listen, there's only one way into the kingdom. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. So when he says, and you're forcing their way into it, he's saying, you religious people are trying to push your way into the kingdom by your works. It will not work. Now, I want you to understand something. Nobody can be good enough to get into heaven by their works. Nobody can keep the law. Even these religious Jews, these Pharisees, who tried to keep the law down to the letter of the law, they couldn't keep it. In fact, he's going to point out one place that they missed it all the time. And I'll show you what it is in just a second. But he says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, Old Testament message. John came, told the truth. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached. Jesus is the Messiah and salvation by faith. Everyone's trying to force their way into it. Religious leaders trying to get in by the law. Now, I want you to see what Jesus is going to do. He's going to say, if you think you can get into the heaven, get into the kingdom of God by the law, You're going to have to keep the law perfectly. Now, we know that. If you're going to try to go to heaven, get into the kingdom, be with God through the law, through the works of law, then you're going to have to be perfect. How many people are perfect? None, so nobody can do it. Now, so here's what he tells to those religious leaders. Notice verse 17. It is easier 
for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. He said, the law is not going to fail. You can't overlook the law. If you're going to come to God through works, you have to be perfect because it's not going to stop. Every little statement in the law, every little mark in the law, every little part of the letter of the law will be accomplished. And so he's telling them, you think you're going to force your way into the kingdom by being good? Okay, keep the law perfectly because it's never going to end. It's exactly right. Now, here's the hard part. Because the last verse almost looks like it's just been thrown in there. But Jesus raises this point to the religious leaders because this is an area in which they often violated the Scripture. And what he's trying to show them is this, that if you think you're going to get into heaven by keeping the law, here's a place you missed it just to show to you you can't make it. It's the subject of divorce and remarriage. Notice what he says in verse 18. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. Now this is really hard. He's showing them that they don't measure up. And here's one of the main areas. I'm going to explain some more in just a minute. The point of this passage is because there are a lot of people who are divorced. There are a lot of people who are divorced and remarry. If you only read this verse, you're going to be in trouble. Because this is not the only verse in the New Testament or the Old Testament that talks about divorce. The reason he makes this statement is not to teach on divorce and remarriage. He doesn't even say anything about it. He makes this statement to show the Pharisees they haven't kept this. And that means they're not going into the kingdom by their works. Now, the point of this passage Jesus is not teaching on divorce. In fact, if he's teaching on divorce, go to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19, and then go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where Paul teaches on it. You can also go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Those are places in the scripture which talk about divorce uh, and remarriage, that kind of thing. Okay? Now, his point is they're disobeying the law and they have to realize they're not going to make it. Why did he do this? At the time of Christ, you've got to understand this. At the time that Jesus was alive, there were two famous rabbis. In that day and time, if you, had a, if, you, if you were back in that day and you had a Bible question, you didn't go pull up your Bible. You didn't go call your pastor and say, what does Deuteronomy chapter 4 mean? What does Luke 16 mean? You didn't even have a copy of the Scripture. Most copies of the Scripture were in the synagogues. So how would you know what you thought was right? you would go to a religious leader, a rabbi. Rabbi literally means my master, but it was the term for a teacher. At the time of Jesus, there were two famous rabbis. One was named Shammai, the other was named Hillel. On the teaching of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. That's the issues people wanted to know. So they would go see these rabbis. If you went to Rabbi Shammai and you said... Deuteronomy says, if a man divorces his wife for the purpose, because of, for the, because of uncleanliness, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And then they would look at the rabbi and they would say, what does it mean, divorce her for uncleanliness? Rabbi Shammai would say, uncleanliness means that she's committed sexual sin. You have the right to divorce her. If you went to Rabbi Hillel 
And you said, Rabbi Hillel, over here in Deuteronomy, it says, if a man divorces his wife for the cause of uncleanliness, he must give her a certificate of divorce. What is uncleanliness? And he would say, well, if you're walking down the street and you see a woman and she is prettier than your wife, she has been become unclean in your eyes and you may divorce her. If you're at the supper table and you eat your food and she has put too much salt on your food, she has become unclean in your eyes and you may divorce her. That's what he taught. Now let me ask you a question. If a man wanted to divorce his wife, do you think he would go listen to Shammai or Hillel? (laughs) That's what was wrong. The religious leaders... We're saying it doesn't matter. You can divorce for any reason. And Jesus is saying, you're going to keep the law? You're not keeping this one. The only reason he told them that was to make them realize they weren't keeping the law. He's not teaching on divorce. Let me just say a couple of things. If if you want more detail than I'm giving you today, because I'm not going to give you detail on this. I have taught Matthew 5 and, of course, Matthew 19. I've taught 1 Corinthians, and you can also go to Deuteronomy. You can see those places, but let me tell you a couple of things. There is no command in the Old Testament to divorce. Not a command. It says in Deuteronomy, if a man divorces his wife for the case of uncleanliness, it doesn't say he is supposed to, it just says if he does. So there's no command for divorce in the Old Testament. The question is, what is this uncleanliness? And we already see what those two rabbis thought. In Matthew 5, Matthew 19, there seems to be a connection with sexual sin and that there is an allowable for divorce and remarriage. Look at it. Go into details. 1 Corinthians 7 seems to indicate that if a believer is married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever divorces them and leaves them, they are then free to go on with their lives. There are other places. I want you to understand something. We're not going into detail today. God is a God of grace. And there are people in our church, many people in our church, that have been married and divorced and remarried. And regardless of whether it fits scripturally or not, I want you to understand something. The Word of God says... Forget the things that are behind and press on to the things that are ahead. There are no second-class Christians. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. This passage, he is teaching them, he is showing them they don't measure up. I think this slide will show it. He is showing them that they do not measure up to the standard of the law. He's not teaching on divorce and remarriage. That's Matthew 5, Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 7, and Deuteronomy chapter 4. You can go to those places and look them up. His point is, John showed the way of salvation. It wasn't the law. It was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Salvation is only by faith in Jesus Christ. Only by Him. Bottom line, God knows their hearts. May we be wise stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. May we be loving God and not things, knowing that God knows our hearts. So what have we seen this morning? Jesus teaches about faithfulness, both in little things and the big. In result of faithfulness is being wise stewards will be rewarded. You can't serve both God and things. You can't do it. Pharisees were making fun of him, but, but he said God knows their hearts. 
And the way to God is not through the law, because nobody can keep it, but it's through the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Let me give you some applications, okay? First one is let's be faithful stewards. That's what the context of this whole passage is, to take what God has given us. Remember, it's His. Take what God has given to us, and He's entrusted to us. Use it for His glory. Let's be faithful. A, if we are faithful, God will reward us. He will. He said that already. He said, if you're faithful in that which is little, you'll be faithful in that which is much. He's going to give us rewards. One day, if you're faithful what God has given you now, He will say to you, great job. I got this for you. He's going to do that. Faithful stewardship results in eternal rewards. B, we cannot love both God and things. You can't do it. You may think you can, but you can't do it. There's a choice there. You're either going to love things and you're going to put God to the side, or you're going to love God and you're going to use things for His glory. You can't serve both. Look at your life. See what's important to you. Put God first. Say, I'm going to take everything you've given me, Lord, and it's for you. It's for your glory. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to use this stuff. Number two, God knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. Man looks on the outside. God knows the inside. A, he knows if we've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. He knows. He knew what the Pharisees were like. He knew what they believed and what they loved. He knows what you believe. You understand that salvation is a gift. It is not by our works. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. And if any of you in this room have never trusted Christ, today, where you're sitting right now, you can believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You can trust in Him and Him alone. And He gives you eternal life that exact moment. He knows if we have trusted in Christ or not. B, this is powerful. God despises the things that men love. Men love pride, power, possessions, authority, and prestige. God loves humility and servanthood. You want to be great for God? In humility, serve. Last but not least, let's be faithful in our marriages. You know, the bottom line is when you get married, stay married. Make a commitment to each other and live the rest of your lives together. Sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. And if you say, J.B., something's happened to me and I want to make sure that I'm okay biblically, come see me. I'll show you the best that I can see from the Scripture. I want you to understand something. When I left Dallas Seminary 22 and a half years ago to come to be here, one of the things they taught us is, men, you better know what you believe on divorce and remarriage before you ever get into your ministry because there are going to be people who are getting divorces and getting married and all that, and you're going to have to know what the Scripture says. Scripture, I just want to say it this way, besides what, what all it says, God is a God of grace. Don't forget it. That's what that song was about that Stephen sang, a God of grace. Keep our word, be faithful in our marriages. May we be faithful stewards of Jesus Christ. He knows our hearts. As we love Him, as we serve Him, as we use the things that He has given us for His glory, so that one day we'll hear Him say, well done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these truths, Lord. Help us to put them together. Lord, we know that we just want to be faithful that, that with everything you've given us and, and that if we are faithful, you reward us. We realize, Lord, we can't love you and things, so may we love you and use things for your glory. Lord, you know our hearts. I pray that everyone in this room knows Jesus Christ as Savior. Lord, the things that men think are great, power and pride and authority, you hate. You love humility and servanthood. And then, Lord, in the whole issue of marriage and divorce, I just thank you, Lord, that you're a God of grace and you take us right where we are and you want us to go on with our lives for your honor and your glory. May we be faithful men and women. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen.